You can think of us as really focusing on being a Web3 PayPal and building out AirTM's ecosystem, both the retail wallet side and now an expanded enterprise payment platform that allows enterprises to connect to that digital dollar wallet community. We are big fans of our peer-to-peer -peer and have a lot of big ambitions for it. We think it's one of the core differentiating aspects of AirTM. We're very much focused on increasing our efficiency and doing what we can to make peer-to-peer -peer a viable and accepted standard for last mile payment delivery. You have just heard from Lisa Nestor, Chief Strategy Officer at AirTM. Lisa has spent her professional career researching and then building solutions that economically empower individuals by improving their ability to access and participate in financial markets. At AirTM, Lisa is leveraging her background in digital assets, payments and ecosystem development to continue the expansion of AirTM's digital dollar account, a first-of-its-kind and category-defining product, and support the company in serving its next 10 million users. So let us dive right in. Good afternoon, Lisa. Welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Thank you so much, Norbert. It's a pleasure to join. And it's always great to talk about payments globally. RTM has a very large presence around the globe. Let's start with the basics. What is RTM? RTM is a digital dollar account that is primarily serving users all over the world, outside of the United States in particular, and in Latin America and other emerging markets. We've been around for about eight years and have built what we think is a really innovative digital dollar account product that leverages USDC as a stablecoin asset in the back end, and then also really uniquely enables different on and off ramps for its users. We have crypto native deposit and withdrawal methods. We facilitate direct to bank account on and off ramps. But for our users in particular, our peer-to-peer -peer marketplace is a preferred way of moving money in and out of our digital dollar account. And that peer-to-peer -peer marketplace allows us to connect to over 400 local payment methods and to help users move money in and out of our digital dollar account really quickly and with transactions of any size, especially smaller value transactions. That's really our core product. I'll just add that in the last two years, we've expanded that digital dollar account to now include a direct to enterprise payment platform that allows our global retail users to now directly receive payments or fund into business partners and enterprises. That looks like a mass payout product that we offer to our enterprises, as well as a pay-in payout product. So you can think of us as really focusing on being a Web3 PayPal and building out AirTM's ecosystem, both the retail wallet side and now an expanded enterprise payment platform that allows enterprises to connect to that digital dollar wallet community. In the structure, as you said, RTM is backed by USDC, which is then in turn backed by the US dollar. 
why this two-level approach? Why not go straight with USDC? There's a couple of reasons for that, but primarily we think that USDC just provides much more ease of payment and movement for our users. So we can facilitate transaction between enterprises and users via USDC instantly and for very, very low cost. We can also facilitate those transactions through things like our peer-to-peer -peer marketplace with USDC on the back end really seamlessly. But I think the bigger picture offering is that our core clients are individuals in emerging economies, and they really care about liquidity. They care about the ability to access their money and move it in and out of our wallet product with reliability and assurances. We found that leveraging a USDC digital dollar account that then connects to this peer-to-peer -peer marketplace, along with other direct integrations, like I mentioned, crypto rails and direct bank rails, it really is the ultimate kind of liquid product for our users that allows them to be able to manage their money directly to be able to move it around the world in a way that really suits their needs, but also provides them security of the dollar. In a lot of countries, the low volatility of the dollar, but most importantly, it really connects to the dollar economy, which is what our users really care about. So, you know, it's a question we've asked ourselves a lot because of course there's a lot of benefits to accessing a FDIC insured US dollar account. Some people would say that's a blue ribbon standard in an account that an individual around the world would want. But for our users in particular, being able to move that money around, have complete assurances and their ability to access it, that's really what they care about. And so USDC is a great instrument for us to use. One of the arguments for crypto has always been that, especially in countries where you have high inflation rates, you move your cash into crypto and it maintains the value, hopefully, if your timing is right. And obviously with RTM, you provide a stable version of that. And as much as avoiding the local inflation as it is being part of the US dollar economy. If I'm in Argentina and I want to move my still pesos into US dollars. How does the mechanics work? One of the most interesting and also earliest use cases in the digital asset space was stable coins and this wealth preservation use case that you've highlighted. There are places in the world where money is more difficult and individuals face economies that have a lot of volatility. With the development of stablecoin assets, there's an opportunity for those individuals to now have a secondary option that's much more accessible. It's democratization of a product that was accessible to wealthy individuals in a country like Argentina and Venezuela, but now through stablecoins is available to the masses. That's how we started in AirTM. I think I mentioned the company is about eight years old, and we cut our teeth in Argentina and Venezuela, really providing users with this safe, stable currency account, primarily for savings. But even with something like a stable coin that can provide you that stable account, you still have to figure out how to get people access to the currency and how to provide it at reasonable exchange rates. What AirTM built in its early years is this peer-to-peer -peer marketplace. Essentially, it took a playbook from Uber 
and said, how can we leverage a local peer network and a marketplace and matching system to facilitate movement of money in places where it's really broken? If you're a user in Argentina and you have pesos and you want to be able to move that money into your digital dollar account, we will, through our marketplace, match you with a peer who's essentially willing to sell you their USDC on AirTM in exchange for pesos that you'll transfer to them locally. Our job in that case is really two things. One, it's to facilitate the matching of the peers. And so we invest a lot in our matching algorithms and also building out that cashier network on the ground so that there are people who are willing to trade. And two, to help do price setting and price discovery. What is the crypto digital dollar rate in this country that we can be citing? And also, how much should an individual peer get paid to facilitate this transaction? We help set those prices, just like with Uber, how much do you need to pay to get from point A to point B? And then we also facilitate that matching of peers. And that's our secret sauce, so to speak, for how we facilitate that wealth preservation use case. What I'll add though, Norbert, is that that is how AirTM started, but it's not how we've ended. And so we've, as a company, had to evolve because a savings product in really volatile economies, it's a tough sell, right? You're selling something to people who oftentimes have the least amount to save. We've had to evolve how our value proposition with the digital dollar account works with those consumers. But to answer your question, that's how we facilitate things like wealth preservation through the peer-to-peer -peer marketplace. Thank you. That's great for the origin story. And I don't want to harp too much on that, but also what I was interested in is, as you say, there's a market and so many of these economies you have a fixed exchange rate. So the market rate that is on RTM, is that then really demand supply driven, which means essentially it's a black market rate versus the fixed rate that the government gives out? Well, black market is maybe a label that I would disagree with. What we have is the pure crypto dollar rate. And a lot of these, we are not a locally registered, regulated banking institution. And so there are not local banking exchange rates that we're providing or facilitating. What we're doing is Yes, setting a market for the rate at which two individuals are looking to exchange digital dollars with each other. It is an evolving space, certainly, but I think a big part of what we are doing is building infrastructure that can supplement the existing financial system. And that oftentimes leverages assets that are not totally traditional. We continue to watch the markets and understand how local regulators are approaching this space. But what we are specifically doing is facilitating peer exchange. It's not banking exchange. And that's of stable coin against a local currency market. Got it. Thank you. And so that's not a bad start if we look at maybe the hottest fintechs that are currently out there with Nubank and Uala in Argentina as well. You said from there it evolved. So talk us for the next eight years, please. In general, we're a very mission-driven company. Our CEO and leadership team, I think, is very people-oriented and very 
focused on our user needs from the very beginning. It was that culture that got the company started and said, there are people who are really suffering and aren't being paid attention to, and there's technology that can help them. Like we really want to try and do something. That's what's led into the wealth preservation use case. As the company evolved, a few things happened. One, we had a churn problem, as I mentioned earlier. Selling a savings product in volatile economies is not the easiest job in the world. And it's not necessarily something where you're going to see a, a hockey stick. Now, that doesn't mean it's not work that should be done. But we saw that our users struggled sometimes to be able to continue to save dollars or put currency away just because of the nature of their situation. While the peer-to-peer -peer market was originally built to facilitate that local currency into digital dollar flow, we started seeing a really large amount of requests for what we'll call other kind of digital dollar money being converted into AirTM. And that was confusing. Why is somebody wanting to use PayPal in our marketplace? Why are people trying to create a market on AirTM for these digital money accounts? We dug into that and realized that our same user in Argentina, who maybe was interested in that wealth preservation use case, was starting to innovate and do something different, which is they were earning money online. They were now using AirTM as a bridge to take money home. That was an aha moment for us saying, okay, we have this digital dollar product. Where else can that digital dollar product be leveraged? And so... We, over the last couple of years, have been migrating more towards really focusing on supporting our users and earning digital dollars and being the best way for them to take that money home in terms of speed, flexibility, and cost, and really just narrowing in on those users and also the enterprises and businesses that serve them and are in their ecosystem and building products to facilitate that transaction flow. The way that we started framing this, which I really like, and we'll give credit to Ruben, our CEO, is for the past 50, 70 years, if you were someone in a volatile economy or even just someone that was looking for greater economic opportunity, what did you do? You migrated, you moved to the United States, you moved to Europe so that you could earn money and what? Send it home. But Today, there's actually another path forward. You can get online. You can access jobs and earning opportunities in those best currencies in the world, in the greatest economies in the world, and take that money home. You don't have to leave your country. You can just become a digital earner, a kind of global earner. So that's squarely who we're focused on. The obvious use case of that is the freelancer, but we see there being a much larger spectrum. Individuals who are just doing task work, earning a few dollars a day online, but that's really meaningful money for them. And we make it possible to take that home and make that a real source of income for yourself. That's been a really cool evolution and story for us. And the last two years in particular has been really focused on building out a direct enterprise pipeline so that if you are an enterprise that wants to leverage a digital workforce or wants to connect with this online labor market, we can give you a direct product to financially connect with that community and ecosystem. That's a classic 
cross-platform problem, right? You need to have both sides and you need to grow them equally. But you started in a way somewhat imbalanced because you had the users or the pays, let's say, it sounds like you needed to grow the part of the ecosystem that's the pairs. And by the sound of it, this would be companies in the developed world that are paying these workers on the task base. So that's an interesting ecosystem to build because it's geographically dispersed. Yes, our enterprise clients tend to be more in the West or the North, and then the global client base is in the South or the East. Our first enterprise client, we totally stumbled on. It was a fell into your lap type of situation. It was actually a large international government disbursement into Venezuela that nobody could really do. But because of the rails that we had developed, we had the capability to do it. And we figured out how to enable those nonprofits and government agencies to disperse their money. And then it was like, huh, wow, we got a lot of new users doing this. Maybe this is something we could replicate. So we've leaned into it and then gone much more commercial. And to your point around the marketplace, a discovery that we've had really just in the last year is the value that we can bring to businesses, not just on the payment infrastructure side, which is traditionally if you're thinking of a wallet or a mass payout product, it's like we're a payments business, right? We can do it this fast, this cheap. This is how much pre-funding you need. That's not quite our business. That's not the whole business because we started as this retail wallet brand and we have a community. We have a very clear community. I think 69% of our users classify themselves as digital entrepreneurs, digital earners. And so that community suddenly has a whole nother value that it can bring to these enterprise or businesses, right? You're a company that leverages online labor. We have 3 million registered users in our global community and emerging markets. So it's been an interesting journey for us that frankly, we're still on this idea of being a payment rail and a wallet, but also an ecosystem itself. So I want to go in two directions from there. One is the people out there saying you shouldn't do payments alone because payments ultimately the marginal cost will go to zero when you're in a digital space. And so the money also for the neobanks is made in credit. Given the 3 million users that you have, even if they're not making that much money, your background in microfinance as well. Is there something in there where you say actually extending credit to these people is an opportunity? Now you're going to go into my favorite area. Yeah, it is something that we are absolutely thinking about and is on the roadmap. I wouldn't say it's on the roadmap right around the corner. But we've got a lot of really interesting ingredients. We are working with a user base that by all kind of measures is underserved. We have really interesting data on them in terms of not just their payments data, but this is earning data. We can directly say X user has earned Y amount of money from this enterprise or has earned from three different enterprises, right? How do you start looking at that type of lending model? And we're also really interested in building out new types of models with some of these 
businesses and enterprises. I mean, imagine if you're Mechanical Turk or Amazon and you've got these merchants or earners and you can help signal that they are part of your earning community and that can help the recipient then lower their borrowing rate. So we're interested in trying to think about how we can really build value on both sides of the marketplace, I guess, in that way. And then I would be remiss to not say that there's a lot going on with DeFi as well that we're definitely keeping our eye on. In terms of our infrastructure, we have the capability to really seamlessly connect our users and their wallet to other types of DeFi lending protocols, for example. Our user is not necessarily a crypto first user. But when it comes to things like small dollar USDC loans, I think the DeFi world can offer a lot. And especially in our peer-to-peer -peer marketplace, our peers who facilitate transactions definitely benefit from liquidity. Right now, we are in a payments market that is inefficient enough that we're still able to maintain some reasonable margins. But we absolutely have to think about how we continue to grow the business and build value add products for our users, but also new revenue lines for the business. Lending is a huge opportunity. And especially if we look at USDC and ways that we can help provide microcredit loans at reasonable interest rates to our ecosystem of users, it's a big opportunity and something that I'm just so excited to start building and offering. Excellent. The second vector I wanted to attack though was that these dispersed ecosystem that you have that is balanced across the global north and the global south there's essentially a third angle now where you can build out further in the global north as well where you have the wells and once you have a foot in the door why not then branch out further in the global north and be a competitor in this wallet marketplace. Ultimately, if you're building a payment wallet, your end goal is to take over the world, right? Because you benefit so much from network effects. So what I would say is that we like to think of ourselves as being this Web3 version of PayPal, like an open version of PayPal, right? In that regard, there's really a huge market opportunity for us. But if you don't focus somewhere, you don't make it anywhere. We're focused right now on growing the user base in the markets where we think the value proposition is most clear. As we are able to gain market share, there's new use cases that we can open up and we can start extending our geographic reach, right? An example of this is we do right now have a fair amount of users from Spain and Portugal because those are big remittance gateways for Latin America. And so there tends to be some type of crossover effects there. That's something that we would continue to try to evolve and snowball. How can we start incentivizing users to leverage AirTM as opposed to WISE or as opposed to PayPal to do these cross-border, cross-country use cases? As a payment wallet, we also believe that this global traveler use case is something that we can facilitate really well where I have my AirTM wallet. This is my USDC wallet, but if I show up in Thailand tomorrow, I can withdraw locally just from that wallet and get cash in my hand. Anybody who travels globally is very aware of the horrible ATM fees that you can get and the airport charges and that type of thing. So maybe there's an opportunity there. 
right now, a lot of our growth and expansion is being led by our enterprise clients. Historically, as a retail brand and retail product, we were your traditional retail consumer app, do the typical advertising for user acquisition on all the major social platforms, et cetera. But as we've evolved as a company, we found a more efficient and virtuous growth cycle working with our enterprise clients. And those enterprise clients have introduced us to a lot of new markets, Pena, Egypt, Pakistan, places that we never thought AirTM as a Latin American company would go. Those markets also tend to be where you have a lot of online earners. That is really where our geographic expansion is being pushed right now. But again, as we build up those network effects, I think we're going to want to be anywhere where we can find those good transaction flows. If you take these countries and you have the earners and you get the RTM dollars into the wallet, Ultimately, they need to have cash in their hands. So how does somebody in Afghanistan or Bangladesh get cash in their hands at the end of the day? A user flow you could imagine is one of our enterprise partners who pays taskers, comes onto AirTM and says, I have 9,000 taskers that I need to pay this week. They upload that information. They say, here's the list of 9,000 payments and IDs. They click send, those all get dispersed. And let's say I'm in Belarus. I'm a tasker there and I just got my payment for $37, right? So what do I do now? I will go into AirTM and I will look Belarus or wherever I am and see what local payment methods are offered. Let's say there's bank account withdrawal and then there's some popular e-wallets there that people use. Maybe I prefer to get my money into the bank account. AirTM, I'll say, I want to withdraw to bank. I'll be quoted some prices and I'll also see what that time to delivery is. What's really cool about the peer-to-peer -peer is because it basically facilitates transactions a layer above the incumbent infrastructure, it's super fast. On average, our withdrawal time is around 14 minutes to be able to execute these. Even if I just sent my tasker payment from San Francisco and my receivers getting that money and taking it out in Belarus. So I would go onto AirTM. I would say, I want to withdraw to my bank account in Belarus. AirTM will then quote me the price, the exchange, and tell me the time. I say yes to all of that information. That request is then sent to our marketplace. And like Uber, it gets dispersed to the network of AirTM cashiers in Belarus. And one of them will say, yes, I'm going to take this transaction. The user then gets put into a personal communication channel with that cashier. And they're sent from AirTM a little bit more information on the information that's required for that payment method. So maybe in Belarus Bank, there's a specific type of payment account number that you need in order to do a transfer. Once I get put in that little payment message, it will say, you're now connected to your peer to execute this transaction. This is the information that they're going to need in order to complete it. So if I'm withdrawing, ultimately what I want is I want that peer to send money to my bank account. My money on AirTM, my $37, gets pushed into what we call smart escrow. Our cashiers trust this because they know that AirTM and the user now both have this money in escrow, so they feel confident completing the last mile payment. Me as a user, I'll provide my local Belarusian account number. The cashier will then go to their 
Belarusian bank account and send me the money, send me the equivalent of $37 in that local currency. Once I receive that payment in my bank, I'll go into RTM and confirm the transaction. I received it. And then my balance of USDC on RTM is released from escrow to that cashier. That whole process on average takes around 14 minutes. In some countries like Argentina and Venezuela, we're super fast. And then in newer markets, we're still gaining steam, so to speak, and how fast we operate. But does that kind of answer your question of how that withdrawal happens? And that can be for um, a bank account or any e-wallet or any other type of method. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Very detailed. It was more after the local partnership. You made the argument that you don't need to necessarily connect to the domestic banking system, but if you want to get it into your local banking system, you have the partnership with a vendor who can facilitate that and has the on-ramp into that part of the ecosystem. We do. Yes, you're absolutely right. We work with DLocal as a direct local payment service provider and others as well will continue to expand that direct local payment processor partnership. And so oftentimes our users can do a direct bank withdrawal either way. So if I'm in Argentina and I say I want to withdraw to my bank account, it will actually give me two options. You can do it through DLocal and here's the rate and the fee and how long it takes, or you can do it through the peer-to-peer -peer rate, fee, how long it will take. I think of it like an airport. We'll give people any option we can. We don't really have a preference. We just want to help make it as easy as possible for people to take their money. I kept the very boring regulatory topic for last and in your example, $37, I think nobody is worried about, but obviously there are anti-money laundering regulations and the typical $10,000 limits, which when we're talking about taskers is probably not something to be worried about as you have cooked her as well. The net is closing a bit on how many degrees of freedom one has in making all these types of transactions. And what is your perspective for your business in that context? AirTM has a pretty unique model that we leverage. We are right now in the process of migrating our retail wallet to be a fully self-custodial wallet on the Stellar blockchain. That means that neither AirTM or any third party will be custodying our users' funds. That's important for a couple of reasons. Our peer-to-peer -peer exchange is a big part of that. It's an underlying principle of the peer-to-peer -peer transaction. But it's also because we as a company believe in providing our users the best tools in the world to have financial freedom and financial sovereignty. Our second mission next to that is to connect them with the global economy. To connect with the global economy means you have to be compliant. We will be one of the first self-custodial wallet platforms in the world with BSA officers and a full compliance team and KYC program. Because what we're separating out, the principle of this is my money and I custody it and I'm now leveraging this kind of innovative digital asset infrastructure from the transaction layer that I can then access through AirTM to be able to receive a payment or execute a peer-to-peer -peer transfer or withdraw through DLocal. We very much want to have the best anti-money laundering policies that we can. We want to keep our users safe. We want to keep our enterprise clients safe. So we've done a lot to develop our own internal capability to do that. 
We work with some of the best KYC vendors in the world, and it's an area where we continue to invest in, especially as we expand to new markets. Every time we have, get into these new geographies, we have to say, is our KYC provider strong enough here? Is this going to work? So that is something that we very much focus on and support. In general, we believe in building a platform and a product that gives our users ultimate control of their money, but also provides them the ability to access and participate in the global economy. And that means we as an organization need to meet global compliance and anti-money laundering standards. So while we are leveraging digital assets, self-custody wallets, and digital asset infrastructure to make us competitive and innovative, it's not in any way trying to skirt or go around identity and KYC standards, quite the opposite. We really want to lean into it, and we think it's a big area of opportunity. Thank you. The ecosystem that you've built is quite fascinating with all the different players and having a marketplace for P2P payments as a foundation I can think of so many things one could do on top of that and having the ideas, one thing, but prioritizing that in the context of limited resources is a totally different thing. So what can we expect from RTM over the next three years, let's say? We are big fans of our peer-to-peer -peer and have a lot of big ambitions for it. We think it's one of the core differentiating aspects of AirTM. We're very much focused on increasing our efficiency and doing what we can to really make peer-to-peer -peer a viable and accepted standard for last-mile payment delivery within the industries. What that means for AirTM as a company, investing in how our marketplace operates so that we can be faster and we can provide even lower-cost transactions for users. We have a dream of being able to one day facilitate what we call client-to-client -client matching, where there's not even that Uber driver in the background. We're able to have built the marketplace large enough and have matching enough that you can basically move your money off of AirTM for near free. There's not a third party that you have to pay. That's not immediate, but maybe three years from now, at least in some geographies, we'll be able to offer something like that and really get to those like near zero transfers. But I think another big part of it, more on the branding and also regulatory engagement and education side, is making peer-to-peer -peer something that people can feel comfortable with and respect and see as a really novel and substantial way to move money around. When we look at AirTM, our fraud rates are extremely low. On average, our transaction size is $67. These are small value payments that we are looking to deliver around the world as efficiently as possible. And we really believe in peer-to-peer -peer as a way to do that. So I think we have some work ahead of us and championing that as a model and educating people around it. More strategically, leaning into enterprise, trying to become the most popular USDC wallet in the world. I think that's a big lighthouse goal for us. And then moving into these auxiliary products like credit and then also cards and spending so that we can really have a robust, full-service product for our users. Super. Thank you very much, Lisa. I think it was a very good conversation and thank you for the insights in the RTM model. 
it was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me.